pase hacia la parte derecha donde ha tocado de cabeza Ward. Vamos a ver por qué se incorpora Neiri. El disparo de Neiri y el primer tanto del partido. Acaba de dar la sorpresa a Escocia en ese remate sensacional de Neiri. En una jugada que aparentemente no llevaba peligro, pero qué remate le acaba de salir. So now it's Kempes. Kempes again. Finding Maradona. It's a good break by Argentina. Maradona tries the shot. What a lovely goal. Maradona makes it number two after 56 minutes. Spania 82, one day at a time. It's a day that's so exciting. I have absolutely no idea what day it is. So I'm going to go with day seven. six, Rob. It's day six. It's Spania 82, one day at a time. Day six, Brazil, Scotland, Argentina, mainly Maradona, beating Hungary and a little bit of Italy, not doing all that well. Kieran, how are you? I'm good, Rob. How are you? I'm very good. Getting all excited to see those Brazilians again. I, seriously, this is it. I think there's probably a small percentage of our audience, Mick Foley, who are basically just, you know, tuning into the Brazil episodes. Are we going to like shun them or welcome them? Oh, welcome them. The people yeah. of eminent good taste. Eminent good <laughs> taste. These are the days, like, these are the days why we're doing this thing. This is just glorious. I mean, Brazil and Scotland is a complete and utter classic. Uh, Maradona has one of those days that... Maybe in the it may be in the totality of his career is kind of forgotten, but it's unbelievable. He's unreal. Oh, wow. And then you have the Italians continuing their little melodrama against Peru, which you know can't be underestimated either. That's uh, a classic. It's 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 one of the days that makes the eighty two World Cup a classic this day. Billy Joe Band is probably a small percentage of our listeners who only tune into the Maradona episode. So this is quite the cross section. We're gonna break all records here. <laughs> Yeah, it's a great day's football. There's no doubt about it. You know, you get the traditional powers, traditional con- countries, uh, and just just quality quality football uh, throughout, and um, really really enjoyable to to look back over it. So many you know w- you know players that you you just you know you always remember, and then to see them live up to a star billing like that, uh, great day's football. And Kevin Corcoran, we promised you uh, we'd be bringing you on for a few more shows, what with this being your first World Cup. So by a few more shows, I mean outside of just the Scottish ones. But my word, we had to have you on for this, the greatest half of football Scotland have ever produced in a World Cup. I'd put it to you right now. Yep, the two the two greatest teams in this World Cup playing each other. Yeah. Uh, the Mojo. Uh, Scotland against Brazil. Yeah, it was an absolutely amazing game that I remember as a crazy 10-year-old uh, so looking forward to talking about it. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a cracker. That's the middle part of our epic show today. The introductory part, Kieran, isn't exactly the type of uh, storyline slash game that we thought was going to dominate our podcast today, but it certainly has some angles. Italy won, Peru won, a late equaliser for the Peruvians has the Italians on the brink of an early ignominious exit from the World Cup. Italy won. Peru won. Like this group is 
you would have thought prior to the World Cup, Italy are going to coast this. And they're making such hard work of it. Um, and I mean, this this in Italy on the day would have been slightly overshadowed because there was there were other things going on in Italy. This was the day when a man named Roberto Calvi was found hanging from Blackfriars Bridge in London. And he was known in Italy as God's banker. He was the, the banker to the Pope. Uh, and he had fled the country a few days earlier because one of the biggest banks in the country had actually gone bust. You know, when that kind of thing happens, we all remember 2008 when the financial crisis hits. That's the kind of moment they were having in Italy on the 18th of June, 1982. And it's not helped by the fact that when they find this body hanging from the bridge, there were five bricks in his pockets. There's $14,000 in cash in various currencies. And immediately the suggestion was because he had been part of a Masonic Lodge known in Italian as the Black Friars, that this was a message. This was the mafia sending out a message that they would not allow this, that they had lost money. And over the next 20, 25 years, this story becomes even bigger in Italy. And probably will mostly remember it because it's a scene that's replicated in the Godfather part three. I can already see Mick Foley going, oh, oh, oh this sounds familiar. Yeah, no, it is. But my, my, my Dan Brown amateur has gone to 11. Like when they did the autopsy, did they find a silch around his thigh? <laughs> were, were the number five bricks, was that significant in any way, shape or form? Uh, I, I, like I, I, I don't know. But I mean, what, what I do know is that this bank went spectacularly bust. Um, that there was mafia involvement, there was Vatican involvement. Apparently, one of their biggest crimes and one of the greatest downfalls was money being siphoned for the Americans and the Vatican through this bank to various activities in Poland. Uh, solidarity is one of the things that people suggest and to certain conflicts in Central America. So uh, needless to say, this was big news everywhere on the 18th of June, 1982. And perhaps... Other than the football fanatics in Italy, this might have been more on their minds than are they going to beat Peru and by how much? Yeah, I'd say Tom, I'd say somewhere in middle America, uh, Tom Hanks woke up with a cold sweat going, I don't know why I've just been jolted awake, but I just feel like I'm going to be making a movie about something that just <laughs> happened somewhere in the world in some year to come. It's not going to be a great movie, but, you know, it's going to be one of those kind of kick about, keep me ticking over movies. A swimming pool movie, as Samuel L. Jackson used to call him. Well, I mean, look, I'm not going to get into this whole story because this plays out over the next 30 years, as I say. And um, it, I, I think initially it was ruled as a suicide. It's not ruled as a murder until the 2000s. But if you, if you get a chance, look up Roberto Calvi on uh, on the internet and you'll find that there's all sorts of conspiracy theories related to it. But the, the biggest impact it probably had in footballing terms was one of the things the bank owned was the Corriere della Sport, which was the national sports newspaper in Italy. And Rob, you said they were on strike at the time. I'm not sure if the two things were disconnected. I don't know. Every It comes up in our uh, Canadian broadcasting uh, commentary that every uh, single journalist in Italy was on strike for the weekend that was in it and only going back to work on the Monday. Um, so, you know, there were going to be a couple of days waiting for the news reports to come true to them, uh, was the story uh, initially. So, yeah, whether it was related or not, I don't know, but there was turmoil back home and there was turmoil on the football pitch, Mick Foley. Oh, thank God, I found a segue. We'll assume it was on the television, you know, that they actually did get to see 
see the match that it wasn't like um North Korea and on the well, Monday, you know, it was like, oh, we actually pigeons, beat through pigeons 10 were flying across from Spain to Italy and landing in Rome with the result. <laughs> I think it's important just to point out, just for Rob's sake, as much as anything else, that the reason Rob knows so much about Canadian broadcasting oh, yeah. uh, in relation to Italy Context. and Peru <laughs> is that on the feed we watched, it was another, it's just a glorious commentary from. From, from the Canadians, uh, it was great stuff. But um, yeah, it was a uh, yeah interesting game. I thought um, I thought that Italy should have had this game won. And and the one thing, the one thing that struck me was what's happening now with Bert uh, or with Berzat. Like as we discussed in an earlier episode, this is not old school Italy. Although the results look like it is old school Italy, the actual performances are not. You know, uh, it's a one all draw. Um, the goal, Conte Bruno Conte scores the goal. It's it's a beautiful goal. Yeah. so well worked. Eighteen minutes. The in. strike from outside the box is amazingly good. Um, they have other chances. Um, Gaetano Shirea absolutely butchers one. Um, there's a couple of more things. I mean, they could have had the game polished off, but I'm just wondering where is Beers at now because this is his big project. This is the the footballification of Italy. Uh, moving them away from the ultra defensive stuff, but they're not, it's not at the moment, it's not working. The goal, I mean, we can go to it straight away 18 minutes in. It's only his fifth, he's one of five goals in 40 appearances for Italy, Bruno Conti. <laughs> it's not a bad one to have on the old uh, playback. No, but it's the build up play to it. Like, the build up play is emblematic of what Berzat's trying to do. Like, it, it's the kind of goal you would have expected the Dutch to score. You know, the movement is very good. The passing's crisp. He, you know, the shot is outstanding. <laughs> like, there's, but I just wonder, like, to Mick's point, they just seem to be blunt up front. And you've got to consider at this stage, you know, because we know nothing about what's going to happen afterwards. What the hell was this guy bringing a guy back into the team who's been suspended for so long? Like, he's he's not... He's not match fit. He's uh, yeah. he's not sharp. So uh, I'd imagine, you know, had the pay, the journalists been working in Italy, they'd have been very exercised with why are you picking Paolo Rossi. I think they would have had um, some pretty good copy as well. Uh, earlier in the week, I was reading uh, Burzot's obituary, and uh, I think he, he got a, a bit of a stab in the back from one of his um, assistants. And uh, when asked about it, he he, he basically, uh, you know, kind of called him, oh, Brutus, Brutus. And then when the assistant was asked about it, well, if he's calling me Brutus, does he think he's Julius Caesar? <laughs> so, um, you know, obviously had a high opinion of himself. And you're right, the goal is a thing of beauty. I think the way Conti just lets the ball come to him and then kind of Cruyff turns it into a bit of space and hits it. But let's be honest, it's not the only thing of beauty on show here from the Italians. And it's my first proper glimpse of the Something that goes down in World Cup history, and we can talk about all things. It is uh, we've, the we've had the sign. Suit. He's back the away suit. from the mic. He's, he's back the away suit. from the microphone. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's making room for this excited. We're trying to we're trying to invent a moving microphone when he gets into the yeah. game. <laughs> he's running into this sentence. He's running into. The he's hands. coming. He's coming. <laughs> The Burzot suit is a thing of beauty. Did you ever see anything, you know, more sophisticated and cool? There are images on the internet of him smoking a pipe with a pair of sort of aviators, the 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 you know the pinstripe 
coat thrown over the shoulders and he's pristine collar probably in about 110 degrees fahrenheit and the collar is absolutely pristine not a bead of sweat anywhere and he's strolling across the pitch there is there i don't think there's a there's a more sophisticated image of a football manager in history and even though they're you know playing pretty bog standard football at the minute uh, i think i think that sort of calmness that coolness personified in his look actually feeds its way into the team. And that's one of the key things that gets them going in this world tournament. And just, just for people trying to get a good mental image of this, <laughs> this pinstripe suit, people now ordinarily say a pinstripe, you're thinking that's probably blue or maybe a grey or something like that. This is white. White with the blue being the pinstripe. Oh, this is the, no, no, this it, is this is the man from Del Monte as managing Italy. This <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> I kind of find it feel like he's going to break out into a musical number at any moment, you know, like you know, New York, New York. Yeah, he's, all he's thing, missing you know? is one of those, um, you know, those boating hats. Yes, <laughs> yes, he could be Brightside revisited just as easily. He's fair. whatever that is in Italian. Very, very Henley regatta stuff. Yeah, he's fairly flipping angry fast. and fairly flipping shouty in the last seven minutes. Of this one, though, uh, it's not looking good. Uh, Kevin, at the end of this, a, a man who comes from the same part of the world as you, Graham Legat, on the Legat. Am I pronouncing it right? Legat. 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 Just Excuse remember Legat if you're in trouble. He's my broadcasting hero of this World Cup so far. Boy, does he call it as he sees it. And he just he just says it. And he said, proved more than bloody well deserved this one. They, he was happy for them to get the equaliser, even if it was a dodgy goal. Uh, Graham Leggett's a, a, a good man from Aberdeen. I think he scored he scored twice against England in the 50s. So that do. immediately do. launches him into hero status. Uh, yeah, the, the commentary is fantastic in this game, as you said earlier, lads. And the cameo from Sir Stanley Matthews in the studio wearing <laughs> a similar Bearsort-type uh, blazer. <laughs> Uh, is another one of those kind of great moments of this competition. Yeah, I love his style. I love, we've we've talked about. It. We love his 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 absolute politeness as well. Yeah, he's got he's got a lot of class about him, Mister Magic. He's only sixty. He's around sixty-two at that stage, but he looks a little bit older. Um, well, he's retired about two months. If that's two the case, it wasn't, exactly. like he famously was playing until he was in his late fifties. So, um, I think you might have his age wrong. Oh, no, he was born sorry. in nineteen fifteen. So what do I make him? 67. 67. Yeah, so he's retired about a month. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he, he's, you know, he's been flying for, who, who was Stan Matthews' great team? Stoke, Stoke, Stoke City. Stoke, Stoke City. Yeah. Stoke, mainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He gets mixed up too. The man says, when did you make your World Cup debut? And he said, how old were you? Because we were talking about Norman website. And he said, 19. I was like, did he play in one of the World Cups in the 30s? He didn't. He did play for England, though, in 1934. But uh, his his World well, Cups were fifty. But I mean, uh, Rob, to the equaliser. Um, That's my job. Why are you taking me? Yeah, back? Well, you know, I'm just trying to push you on here because we we want to talk about Brazil. <laughs> a lot to talk about. Go for yeah, it. Yeah, it's just it's yeah. and, and Kev wants to talk specifically about you know the greatest half of football Scotland have probably ever played. Mm-hmm. You so, Prue get the goal. This is a deflection, free kick, switch direction, totally fools. Uh, the entire Italian defence and, of course, Dino's off. And, yeah, 1-1. Italy, actually, one last point about this game, Mick, is Italy finished the game passing the ball back to their keeper, which is just another moment of what it the hell is going on. They're, they're actually settling for a draw at the very, very, very end. Well, there is, there is that kind of 
muscle memory or whatever you'd call it, you know, you just that's just how you're wired. But it was so late in the game, like it was four minutes into injury time. Yeah. Uh bounced off Marco Tardelli, of all people. Uh and as you say, it just sent Zop completely the wrong way. Zop had actually made a decent save. I mean, I know I said at the top, like the, the Italians, and I do think the Italians should have won again. They should have had it cleared off before yeah, the Peruvians started getting into it. But um they certainly did get into it. I was glad to see that our our old friend Tim the Peruvian manager uh, from that stable of Brazilian names, the more the Alan, uh, Fred and Douglas end of things, um, that there was talk in the run-up to the game that he was going to drop Teofilo Cubillas, the great Cubillas, their only great, but Uribe was their other very good player at the time, but Cubillas from the 70s was was this was this really, really great player. Uh, there was talk he was going to drop him because he actually took him off in the previous match, which was completely inexplicable. I think we talked about that actually in the previous episode. Um, but anyway, um, he managed to hold himself off from that kind of insanity, uh, and uh, they almost they almost pulled it off. But yeah, well, hey, look, it's all to play for. Look, they've got Cameroon play Poland the next yeah, day. Yeah, but that's the thing; like the pressure's on now because you're assuming Poland are going to get points. Then you know that's yeah. Like they, this is this is a result that Italy were banking on. Now, on the subject of great. Brazilian nicknames. It would be remiss of me in this segue to Brazil Scotland if we didn't, at this point, try and give our resident Brazil expert his own Brazilian nickname at this stage. <laughs> Padinho has to get a nickname here. <laughs> I think I, I think Padinho, Padinho. I think kind of rolls off the tongue. Throw in an extra syllable just to make it more confusing. Or, or if he wants to go for the Fred version of the of the nickname, it will just be Billy. Yeah, yeah, it should just be you know like Pad, you know. <laughs> or or sort you of... could put a Z E in front of it, maybe J Billy. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, I'm moving yeah, this yeah. on. Next game. <laughs> <laughs> Brazil for Scotland. All right, here we go. Uh, So many things to say about this, but to start with, the best atmosphere of this World Cup so far, definitely going to mention it anytime anyone ever asks me what's the best atmosphere you've ever seen at a World Cup game. This looks pretty damn up there. It was pretty incredible. This is in keeping though with like, that's that's the, it's one of, it's part of the mythology of Seville. You know, that, um, yeah, you know Seville True. is one of these cities that just is fanatical about football. Okay, it's not Barcelona or Madrid in terms of the Spanish history of it all, but this this stadium has some history because this is Real Betis's ground. This has been a citadel of football since the twenties and thirties. You know what I mean? And the atmosphere is outrageously good, uh, but the heat. <laughs> The heat must have been some shock to Scotland. And I, I found a brilliant story in the aftermath of the game. Uh, if you'll just bear with me, that uh, apparently when they were swapping jerseys afterwards, um, the Scots realised that the, the Brazilian jersey was really light material. <laughs> and and like the, like the Brazil, I mean, like even, in, even during the anthems, they're looking across at them going, how are they not sweating? Like, there's not a bead of sweat on the Brazilians. Yeah. And like, the Scots are like, oh my God, oh my God, the heat. It turns <laughs> out there's a lining 
in the Scottish jersey. Like, oh my god! And w- when you consider like the the meticulous preparation of everything else Jock Steen had done for that World Cup, <laughs> like they got this expensive early version of Gatorade from Germany, so that they would, you know, the players would be hydrated properly. Like the reason that Danny McGrain and Kenny Dalglish are not selected for this game is they're being rested for the Soviet Union game because they're concerned about the heat. They'd been exhausted really? after the previous match in Malaga, yeah. which was on the coast. This game now is in the interior. It is absolutely bacon hot. And I mean, just to give you an, an idea of how well prepared Scotland were, the trainer, Hugh Allen, this is from Tom Brogan's book, uh, We Made Them Angry. I think a title that came from this game. He packed 25 kit hampers. They included 150 pairs of socks, 150 pairs of shorts, 150 training jerseys, 14 sets of full match squad kits, and 200 tracksuits. There were 66 balls along with sweatbands, the obligatory sweatbands, and captain's armbands, substitute boards, 100 towels, 72 training bibs, scales, medical hampers, pumps, and 50 wetsuits. I have no idea what the wetsuits were for, <laughs> unless that was the lining in, in the gear. Uh, the, the assistant secretary of the SFA, Bill Richardson, said, it's a major operation and we have to make sure we get it right. Nothing can be left out and we have to remember to include 100 jockstraps. Absolutely. Absolutely. So at this point, I want to apologise to all El Salvadorians listening to uh, that preparation discovery. <laughs> <laughs> they just wanted a couple of footballs, just, just two or three footballs. That they, was all they, they needed. They approached the wrong team. Like, they shouldn't have run Hungary. Like, the Scots had 66 <laughs> yeah, footballs. They had loads going exactly. spare. Yeah, they shouldn't have gone up the road to the Hungarians. Give us a ball. No, no, wrong place. Back ah. to the shooting lodge where they were staying. No footballs, no nothing. I'm glad you actually mentioned that about Dalglish because... In the running, just looking at the build-in to this game and stuff, right, and the team selection, like, I was surprised that Dalglish wasn't playing initially. And then when you can look at it, you go, okay, by his own admission, he hadn't played great against New Zealand. But still in all, I was thinking, geez, like, I mean, if Brazil know any any Scottish players, you know, Dalglish will be on their list. And not to start him, I thought was odd. But uh, from what you say, there was there was obviously scientific reasoning behind it you know no, no, I'm not sure that Jock gave, gave Kenny that reasoning though because in oh, in in um, Kenny Dalglish's autobiography he, he says in training a day or two before Big Jock told us he wanted to play one up front when Jock used Steve Archibald in training I knew I wouldn't be playing against Brazil my team the lads who weren't now the first team were ordered to play like Brazil <laughs> the Muggs team as I called us um, didn't have enough players, so we played Ruffy up front. Oh, my God. Off we went with me and four others in midfield and just Ruffy in attack. Embarrassingly for the first team and Big Jock, Ruffy scored twice and we won 2-0. <laughs> <laughs> when, when Jock's oh team God. had the ball at the back, I shouted to Ruffy, just leave them and drop back. Big Jock stopped the game and came over and asked me, Kenny, what are you doing? Well, I replied, you said play like Brazil. I thought that you wanted us, that was what you wanted us to do. They always drop off. Big Jock said, you've always got to be clever, Kenny, but I wasn't. It was true. Brazil did use that tactic. Now, despite that, the Kenny Dalglish felt he wouldn't be playing. The team was only announced at lunchtime on the day of the game. Mm-hmm. So it did come as a shock to, 
to them. And apparently Danny McGrain's reaction was superb. He just immediately got over the disappointment of not playing and started revving the team up. I mean, the two changes they make, Davian Airy comes in for McGrain. We'll talk about his impact. Uh, and Asa Hartford comes in for Dalglish. And Asa Hartford has a very good game. Uh, Asa Hartford, he of the, the hole in the heart back in the early say when he was to move to Leeds, uh, they found a, a, a heart defect and the, the transfer was cancelled. So he had a very roundabout way. But like this is his 50th cap for Scotland. It's also his last cap for Scotland. Uh, and funny when you were saying just about the organisational stuff and that, found an interview with Hartford and he, he made the point, he, he was there in 78 as well in Argentina with Scotland. And he made the point that the big difference, there was two differences he noticed between 78 and 82. Uh, in 82, they were so infinitely better organised and so well put together, like as, as you described, Kieran, but also that their squad, in his view, was inferior in 82 to 78, which, you know, we've already talked about this perhaps being the best Scottish squad that ever went to a World Cup, but in his view, uh, 78, again, I suppose, maybe it's his generation of players, like the 78 will always be the one that just not so much got away, but just went so completely horribly wrong for a really, really good group of players, you know? Before I bring Kevin in on that point, this is a story of, as you've heard, a 4-1 defeat for Scotland, as you've gathered a really good first half. 1-1 and a half time, burst into life, uh, uh, lead the game. David Neary, uh, David Neary's goal, we'll get to it. But Kevin, like, maybe just get to that, watching it back. What did you feel like as you watched that first half? I, I remember, like, I, like I, this is my World Cup compared to what your guys... For Italian NTS to you guys, this is my World Cup. So the 78, I remember roughly, but I was only a really small child. This was, I was 10 years old, all the sticker albums, all the Scotland jersey, the full shooting match. It was the most important thing. Yeah. All the games live on TV, which from, if you think back, I'm going to sound like a dinosaur here. If you think back to, to those days, there was only three games every year live on the TV in Scotland. That was it. The Scottish Cup final, Scotland against England in the home championship and the Scottish Junior Cup final, which is like our level below senior football. Those were the mm. only three games that were ever which live. Which satisfied until. all the Drum Chapel fans. Exactly. It was Bones and East Kilbride Thistle and all those kind of guys. So there was there was no live football on TV. So as a football mad kid, to have all these games live on the TV every night was fantastic. Even better that your country were involved in it. And I remember the, the, uh, the Brazil game... Uh, we, we've got quite a good history with Brazil in World Cups. In 74, we should have beat them. Billy Bremner missed a chance from about a yard out. And Scotland went home from that World Cup, the only unbeaten team in the whole World Cup. Uh, drew with Yugoslavia, beat Zaire, but not by enough goals, and drew with Brazil. So went out on a, on a goal difference, which became our kind of theme throughout the next two or three World Cups. Uh, but that Brazil game, we were obviously, we, we knew about this Brazil team We'd seen them play against the, the Russians in the first game. You look at the lineup uh, with Junior, Socrates, Zico, Falcao, Eder. They, they were an amazing football team and they were just fan, fantastic to watch. And they were everybody's second favourite team. But we were hopeful that we might be able to do something. And we started the game really well. I think the guys that have seen the match, Scotland had on the front foot as soon as they had a chance early on. We were definitely putting up to them. There was no inferiority complex in any way, shape or form. And then David Neary scores 
the most iconic goal for Scotland since Archie Gemmell's goal in the previous World Cup. What a goal! The movement! It's insane, Kevin! And and then I just looked at this is his only goal for Scotland. I mean, it's like, what a memory! David Neary, as a local guy from Dundee, played for Dundee United. He played for United for 21 years and he only scored 23 goals. So, <laughs> a goal scorer, wow. he did not. Uh, but this is, this is the moment of his life. Uh, the header back, I think by John Wark, he picks up the edge of the box and crashes it outside the foot top corner. Now, Scottish fans have a love-hate or almost hate-hate relationship with BBC pundits and from England because we get them their opinions foisted upon us on a regular basis. So Jimmy Hill is by far and away Scottish football fans' <laughs> public enemy number one. And he doesn't endear himself to anybody in the wake of the goal because he described the goal as a toe poke, which caused uh, outrage amongst everybody afterwards. Now, the one blessing was we never heard it live because we had our own commentary from Archie McPherson uh, on the game, <laughs> and I think Bill McNeil. But, uh, but it became this thing. So Jimmy Hill was forever uh, hated and berated from the Scottish fans as a result of the, the toe-poke uh, slander on David Neary's amazing goal. I just want to go back a little bit to the to the to the just the detail of the goal. Like Kevin's described it really, really well there. Like he's a header back from John Wark. But to go back even like this is 17 minutes into the game, and the Scots have been, as Kevin said, totally in this game. Like totally and utterly. But this is their really first serious attack, if you like, right? Soon as had the shot, but this is their first serious attack. It is a thing of beauty. Like Ruff gives it to Sunes, who passed it to Hansen. Then there's two more passes. I couldn't actually identify the two next players, but two more. Then it gets to Steve Archibald, back to Sunes, to Ata Hartford, back to Sunes again. At this point, they're at the edge of the box. It's crossed over to Wark on the other far side of the edge of the right-hand side box, and he nods it back, and Neri is storming through. And he just, it's, it's, he hits it with his toe, but it ain't no poke. Like, it is a thing of beauty. That's why, about nine passes, ten passes, from one end of the, like, if Brazil had done that, and Brazil will score a goal later on that is that is kind of described as quintessential Brazil 82. If Brazil had done this, we would never hear the end of it. It is one of the great, great World Cup goals. And it completely and utterly puts the tin hat on a brilliant first 20 minutes. I mean, there are guys, like, the Scots aren't just playing the beautiful game. They are playing the beautiful game, but they're hustling and they're hanging. Do you know who really impressed me was Steve Archibald? Like, mm-hmm. Steve Archibald is up on his own but he is coming back into the Brazilian midfield, absolutely torturing them. Like, they don't get a minute's piece. Gordon Strachan, superb. Second game in a row, superb. Like, it is just one of those performances that you're just looking at it going, Christ, they're only one up. Should be about two or three. Yeah, Archibald surprised, surprised me in that, like, you know, uh, his control, his touch, his his speed to do things was much better than than I anticipated or, or, or thought. But sometimes you say, I heard somebody on a podcast say recently that you should watch historic soccer games back without the goals. And if, if you were to do that for the vast majority of this game, you know, it, it, you would see it as an even contest, particularly going into the 50th or 60th minute because Scotland played so well in, in those in those early stages. Um but again, I think I think you have to, and maybe I, I, I'm I'm always biased on this, and that uh, I enjoy watching this this Brazil, Brazil team in particular. Is that you know you mentioned uh, Mick there, you know um, 
Sunes being heavily involved and, you know, he puts himself about. But the flair players, and I remember there's one incident where I think Sunes leaves a bit on Socrates in early, yeah. early in the game. And like Socrates is a bit unhappy about it, but then he kind of looks around and realizes who it is and he says, okay, I'm to expect that. And then he carries yeah. on and then he goes. And you kind of think, well, there was a bit of steel there as well. So to maybe say that this... 82 team Brazil was all flair and no steel. I think you would oh. see them, you know, wilt in these situations, but no, uh, there's more to it than that. And that's what makes it, you know, a, a really interesting, even contest, particularly in that first half. Well, there's two things I'm going to come in on there. One is Steve Archibald. Like he, he's one of those players that we, we associate with the latter part of his career, like Spurs, Barcelona, you know what I mean? And it, he kind of has a late renaissance with Blackburn, but, He's come from amateur football. Like when he was playing with Clyde, he was working as a Rolls Royce mechanic and doing up cars and selling them on the side to make money. You know, so he's had to work his way through, make his breakthrough with Aberdeen, gets the big transfer south of the border. But they've so many quality strikers in that Scottish squad squad at the time. Um, so for him to start, that that's a huge photo confidence in him. Now, Jimmy Hill, to come back to the Topo comment. <laughs> The response that that elicited, like Kevin has mentioned, like fans in Scotland become incensed. Jock Steen never forgives him. Like it, it said that Jock Steen almost becomes anti-English on the basis of this in the aftermath. Oh God. Um, and like Hill tries to play it down as he meant it as, you know, he, he saw a toe poke as a skill. But he was interviewed in a 1998 documentary on it. And he basically says that, you know, the Topoke and David Neri are going to be on his headstone. <laughs> like that that's the response they've elicited. Um, wow. And it does become a thing. It becomes a thing later in this tournament. Like the Scottish fans have signs about Jimmy Hill. Even, like They haven't seen it. They've been in Spain. Um, but my God, do they contribute to the atmosphere of this game? But they're, it's electric. And while Scotland are doing like multiple pass backs to the keeper as to get to grips with what the hell's going to happen next. Oh, testing, Mick, <laughs> testing the whole theory that I have that, you know, they do it once, twice, three times, and everyone's looking around going, they're not going to do it five times, are they? And like they could, but there must be some gentleman's agreement that that's pretty much the limit because it's not outlawed. I'm just looking at it going, why don't you do it 27 times? <laughs> see how far you can push this and like it's it's interesting you know i think billy joe makes a great point there about again and this is again this is the this is the wonderment of doing this kind of a project like you you know our thumbnail idea of the brazilians is one thing but when you actually see them in operation in a situation this is the second time they've gone behind in the world cup already and are only two games in they do not panic they do not stop doing the things that they want to do they gradually, gradually play their way into it. As Billy Joe says, they ain't no shrinking violets. Like, it's not a dirty game by 1982 standards at all. It's a very constructive game. But if there is, if there are tackles flying, they're they're more than able to, to deal with that as well. But the most impressive thing is this thing you always hear in 21st century sport about sticking to the process. They just keep playing. They just keep playing and playing and playing. And eventually, gradually, they managed to get to a point where they're back on parity and, you know, there's a bit of a lazy, I would have to say, a lazy foul by Alan Hansen outside the box on Cerezo. He just leaves a leg out and Cerezo falls over it. And it's in that area that Zico loves so much. And you kind of, you kind of go, oh, Jesus. 
Yeah, Chirizo or he hadn't started the game against the USSR, and I think that he 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 does add a bit of, a bit more steel. He's a bit deeper than the other midfielders. He adds that physicality, uh, and I think you see a more complete midfield with him in it. But again, the the Zico steps up to that free kick, and you're automatically fearing the worst. Um, you know, it's it's legendary, I suppose, the amount of the the ability he had those from those situations, the amount of I suppose time and effort he put into that craft. And you're feeling that it can, it will inevitably hit the back of the net. And that's what it does. And, and you know, goalkeeper's left rooted. And that goalkeeper must have been thinking as Dico came up to it, uh, Beck. <laughs> like, this is, this is 1978 all over again. Like, Alan Ruff, now, I can tell you, Alan Ruff's had a rough day today because no, apparently Jockstein hated goalkeepers and used to take the goalkeeper's training. They didn't have a goalkeeping coach. And he's put him through an hour and a half that morning of training because he felt that the Brazilians were going to be crossing all day. He wasn't going to stop until he'd calmly claimed a few in the air. Now, Adam says the first hour he couldn't catch anything because there was a howling gale. But (laughs) but Jack Steen kept persisting. So I'd imagine he's exhausted. He's played 90 minutes already. The, the story of Alan Ruff and the free kick, I'll just run through it really quickly. Um, it's interesting. It's kind of mad. It's kind of mad. So Scotland went, uh, played a friendly match against Brazil in 1977 at the Maracanã, and Alan Ruff was in goal for that game as well. And I go back to our old friend Asa Hartford. Asa Hartford tells a story uh, about the morning of that game that Ruff was feeling rough. He wasn't feeling very well. And he took a, what he thought was a disparate. Uh, to to settle whatever his headache or his tummy or whatever was going on. Turns out, according to Asa Hartford, that Ruff actually took a sleeping pill. <laughs> so by the time the match in, this is 1977 now, so the match in the Maracanã came around, in to quote Asa Hartford, Ruffy's looking a bit groggy, right? <laughs> Got out in the Maracanã, right? So out to go, and there's a free kick given to Brazil. Only difference really between the 82 free kick and the 77 is that it's at the other end of the ground. So Zico steps up, same list and so, what would we say, about 25, 30 yards, something like that? Straight in front of the goal, really. And he throws the ball over the wall and into the top left-hand corner. And Alan Ruff does not move in 1977. He does not move. And the like, you can, see, you can watch it on YouTube. I'll throw it up on the socials or whatever, but the crowd go crazy and the commentators are going crazy. It's one of those goals, you know? So Zico tells the story years later that yes, that happened. And then it kind of came to 82. He knew it was Alan Ruff and goal. So he said, he's going to expect me to put it over the wall. So I'm going to bend it around the wall this time. Um, which on the look back, I'm not sure. I leave that to the experts on this one. It goes into the same corner and Alan Ruff again doesn't move. <laughs> so I don't think it matters whether it goes over or around it. But in Zico's eyes, anyway, he bent it around the wall this time rather than lofting it over and giving and giving Ruffy what he expected Ruffy would be expected. I'd, I'd like to come to the defence of Ruffy here just for a wee second, okay? This is Zico from... Is it a fever tablet? Is that what you're going to tell us? The, <laughs> the ball hits, like, it has the corner of the post and bar yeah. and it's an amazing free kick you can put three goalkeepers yeah. and saved it but yeah. the fact he just stood there didn't, didn't they have the look of the whole thing and then he got <laughs> a little bit later on as we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about it in the second half as well 
But for that, I don't think Ruffy can get blamed. It's just an outstanding free kick from Zico. I don't think, and I, and, and you know what? I don't want this to become an Alan Ruff beatathon because I think that's happened a lot around this game. He didn't do anything. I mean, we can talk about the the goal, the the, the next goal, but on this free kick, you're absolutely right, Kev. Like, I mean. It's a glorious one. Oh. And in the second half, he makes some really key interventions coming out of his goal, actually, yeah. to intercept balls and make a couple of saves. So he's not had a bad game. It's yeah. just, as you say, it's the look of these. But sure, look, this is the point that we're This is the point that did we're, we're making. Did he not just do what the rest of us did? He just admired it going into the he top He just area. admired it. They can do that to you. They can do this to you, you know? There's no way he was going to get it. But on to that second goal. And I'd be interested to hear... Billy's opinion on this. I think it's a highly preventable goal. Oscar's goal. Yeah. From the corner. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it, it originally, does that not originally come from some really good work by Socrates down the left wing and he wins a corner? Is that? That's correct. Yeah. That's yeah. correct. Yeah. So, um, yeah, look, set piece goal. You could look, particularly a team like Scotland where you have, you know, players like Hansen, Sunes, you know, even Archibald, big, big, big players, uh, you know, good at set pieces, good in the air. You know, the set pieces are always preventable. But at the same time, you know, when you're a, you know, a, a good, good football team like Brazil war, they can score from set pieces. They can score from free kicks from outside the box. I think there is, there is something, and maybe we'll talk about it at the end of this game, about the percentage of goals that Brazil have scored to this stage in the World Cup that have been hit from outside the box, which is mm. something that was not going to continue. But I think in the World Cup in general, <laughs> in these early stages, these first six days, there's been a lot of shots from outside the box. You know, you talk about the one earlier in the Italy game. Uh, if if it was now, we'd be saying, the ball's juice, man. The ball's juice. They did something to it. The goalkeepers can't see it. First ever but, tango. Um, first ever tango. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. look, I, I think you're right, Kieran. When you could see the goal like that, in a big game, like in a big game, to the biggest team, um, you'll always have regrets more so than maybe some of the other goals that go in. Terrible goal because Sunis is the one that gets caught on the run as well. Like it's a simple free kick near post. Sunis too late chasing him, and it's a it's a free header. And it happens three minutes into the second half, completely kills any plan they have for the second half. And then they're they're fighting uphill from that point on, and Brazil then really take control. And start passing it around and Scott my chasing shadows for the next forty minutes. That's exactly it. Like it's such and there's one of the Scottish players, as the ball hits the net, is just he's just kind of punching the air with the frustration because he knows. And you're like that was that was what I was watching. I, I actually rolled it back to see who was that? Oscar just runs past Sunis. Yeah. Sunis does not see him at all. And it's a really easy header straight down into the ground from about five yards. But even and that, it, like he's done exactly the right thing because it's that it's that action down off the yeah. ground and up that's making it hard to save. Yeah, but if the if the second goal was a simple goal, then the third goal is just a thing of absolute joy. No, no, it, it's like it's just brilliant. It's just the most amazing fluid passing move. And when Adair gets the ball. He just looks up and poor Ruffy, who has tried to come out and narrow the angle. He's done the right thing. He's come out to yeah. that narrow the angle. But you would you would go a long way to find any normal footballer who would do what Adair does. Like, he just looks up and in the blink of an eye thinks, i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do the most difficult thing that's possible here. I'm going to chip him into the far corner. And he does it <laughs> magnificently. Absolutely. I remember being at home and almost like applauding it. I wasn't applauding it because I was raging. But almost <laughs> yeah. applauding it. it was like just, oh my God. Oh, and then you go out after that and try and do it with your mates out in the, out in the, 
the grass afterwards. Just an amazing goal. Brilliant, beautiful football. Now, Kevin, not to disagree with you, but the much maligned, the much maligned, the much maligned Serginho was was commented upon earlier on in this discussion. This, uh, well, the, um, are you not giving any credit to the way he let the ball run across his, his body, rolled the defender, and then played a perfectly weighted pass into stride for Adair, uh, who you rightly pointed out. And I think the the key thing is is oh, that this is a line on the pedometer. He's getting farther from the microphone. Look at him. He's nearly out the door. Come back into the room. <laughs> Wait till you hear me describe Maradona's goal later on. Oh, right? uh, um, but and it, it it actually hits the side netting, and I'd say it's about two inches from the crossbar. You, you literally couldn't have placed it in a, in a better location. No. So you know, was, no, Ruff had no chance with that. It's it's absolutely pristine. No, and 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 so I'll give you, Sergio. That's the one thing he does in this whole World Cup. Cement. <laughs> 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 He's the he's the one guy we didn't try to emulate out the back after the World Cup. <laughs> For a great the greatest team never to win the World Cup, he was rank. Anyway. Interesting. We were we've slowly but surely been coming around to try maybe I, I, I get the impression that Kevin would prefer Alan Brazil to, to the to Sergio. <laughs> <Sergio>. <laughs> That's very good. That could work. Uh or, and and they go on and they just wrap it up. Then Scotland are kind of going for it. I, I think they were lining up the leash to come onto the pitch as that third goal went in. Is that right, Mick? Yeah, that's what I was just gonna make the point about. I mean, we discussed them at the top. And, and I mean, Dalgleish is my favourite player of all time, bar none. Like, you know, people, you know, whenever it comes, who's your favourite player of all time? Young fellas will ask you, they say, Kenny Dalgleish, and say, who? I say, oh, Dalgleish all day, every day. So I was waiting to watch him in this game. And I, I'll be honest, I was a bit disappointed. <laughs> um, didn't play well. Didn't play well. Mislaid a lot of passes. Um one corner that he took a corner and Jesus, like in the I, I got the impression he, he didn't have any of the Gatorade. <laughs> say, he might have his own Gatorade. Um, he had roughly sleeping yeah. tablet. But <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> he came on. He didn't. He didn't do an awful lot, and and it was probably the one disappointing thing in terms of the Scottish performance. Because and it's a pity that they didn't get him on before the goal almost as well. You know, coming on at two rather than three. But like. And that's the other thing. And again, I don't want to rain on the parade because it was a glorious performance, but there were two avoidable goals for Scotland in this game. And you just look, we, and, and the reason that the Brazilians go on is because they score these goals and then suddenly they really open up into what they can, what, what they can do because they have the comfort of the goals. But you just wonder, you just wonder if Sunes had seen the run, you know, if Alan Hanson hadn't stuck out the leg, I don't know. Yeah. I hate to say it, Kevin. I hate to say it. You know, worse than that. Have sands, butts, and maybe cheese. Oh, yeah. There was because there was a couple of periods where you just like, oh, geez, Scotland actually were still right in this. I mean, I was one point where like Brazil are clearing a corner and Falcao. I swear to God, the ball bounces and he just looks at it and you're like. Uh, he just forgets he's from Brazil and he belts that ball. If there is a higher yes. hoof in this World Cup, I, I, I kid you not. And you don't expect that from Brazil, but there is there's something to them, Billy Joe, that's there's been a lot more to it than I expected from watching them. I don't know what you felt, but there's just been times when there's just been everything they I didn't think they were and then they're everything and more that I kind of hope to see as well. Yeah, well, I, I think we look at this team and, and people rightly point out um, the midfield, and you know, I'm including Zico in that in that bracket, and you have Socrates, and you have Erdair, and you have Falcao. 
But in a, in a world where we're watching football and there's a lot of specialists, you know, you have a defensive midfielder, you have a number 10, you know, somebody that does that. You have four players there. And I know, all right, you know, Zico is your number 10 and he plays, you know, further up the field. Trezzo plays deeper. But they can all do a bit of everything. They all have a steal. They're all able to put their boot in. They're all, and they're all creative. And I, I think what you, when you watch these games, you see again that the way they work in unison. And today, I, I personally thought Falcao had been better the first day out than he was today was more in the game. Socrates, I think was just really good both days out. Seiko the same way. Um, but it's just the way they work together. And I think that's, that's, that's the great quality of this team that you have these terrific, technical players doing all the other stuff really well uh, also that's the technical okay let's let's take it to tactical what flipping formation are they playing oh <laughs> i've no idea billy joe did you get a handle on it at all like could you put numbers well, it's, on it? It, it it's it's it to, it to me it's like it's like a three five it's like <laughs> there's you know, it's like a three six one or something. You know, I don't. Know. Does that even add up to eleven? Does it? You know, so uh, um, you know, there there is as such. You know, they're so fluid in in the, in the middle of the field. Like, and even Adair is. You know, he's a left winger. Then he's cropping up, and he's the furthest man up the field. I know he can, he can play up front, and I'm sure the idea is that if Zico drops off, that Adair gets up there because he has that ability to stretch the field and and run in beyond Serginho if there's a, is a flick on. But just the constant movement, I, I think that, I, I think that, I think that, it, you in, in when they win these games, you, you will not be as I suppose concerned about the, the tactics of it. Um, you know, we'll talk about it in other games and in games that don't go as well for them, where it will be more obvious in terms of some of the this fluidity is actually something that hurts them in the long run. We are virtually done on this game. Anyone want to add in any final thoughts, Nick? Well, I think we got to talk about the fourth goal because, you know, quite apart from the fact that it's the fourth goal, um, it's it's like it's again this goal. I mean, how many iconic goals? And I don't, I hate that word. You know the way iconic is used so much now. Everything is freaking iconic. But like, you know, how many iconic Brazilian goals have been scored in this World Cup already? Like, you know, I mean, we're up on four. I'd say out of six now, and the Falcao goal is another one. I. Like, what struck me actually about the Falcao goal is what happens for about three or four minutes beforehand. The Scots have possession for ages. And it's not like the Brazilians are standing around kind of chatting to each other about what they're going to have for dinner when they get home and stuff. Like, it's 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 good Scottish play trying to get them, trying to open Brazil up. And eventually, Oscar breaks it up and off they go. And then it's, I think what makes this goal special for people is the people who touch the ball next you have Eder, Socrates, Cerezo and then Falcao and he, Falcao just it's a brilliant shot like mm. he drills it from outside the box again another one from outside the box it's the far left hand corner um, it's a, like a, a it's just a little layoff from from some from, from Cerezo at the end and he just drills it and again it's just this and of course the Falcao celebration I totally agree with Billy Joe I thought he was he was scarcely in the game but it's like he scores a goal and it's just like this. It's like he's exploding from the inside out, kind of going, yeah, you know, I just it's just this, ex, just this exclamation of joy. And it's like this kind of great note on this great, great performance. Tele Santana afterwards, the manager says, 
that you know we didn't play well in the first half, but after Zico's goal, we organized a different kind of game. We can't play better than we did in the second half, is Santana's take on the game. Which I wonder about that. I wonder about it, but I, I can see why people would have been exhilarated in that way after that performance. And can I just say one more thing about Scotland before we go? Uh, there's as as Mike was saying here, before it gets to four one. Scotland are still in the game, still pushing. There's a great John Robertson running shot just over the bar. I mean, they're trying their they are trying their best. But uh, to to make a point on what Kieran said earlier on about the the jerseys and the the lining and the heat, uh, <laughs> it's it's meant I, for I, the I, Outer Hebrides, not for yeah. yeah I, uh, I just remember, just remember the 1954 World Cup. Scotland lost seven nil to Uruguay mm-hmm. because they had big. Uh, woolly, woolly shirts on uh, in Switzerland up a mountain. Uh, sure. Uruguay had kind of a t-shirt on, and Scotland were completely uh, over overheating completely and lost seven 0 So it's good to see we haven't learned any lessons in, in, in intervening time. I just, I just doing the sums in my head. Would Jack Steen not have been in and around a Scottish team in the mid fifties, like because he was certainly picking up trophies with Celtic around then? Like. No, I don't think it was in the Scotland team, but yeah, but there, but there was all sorts of issues there. They were ill prepared and had the wrong gear, so oh. they kept they kept they kept the tradition going in nineteen eighty two. It wasn't the only issue with the jerseys, apparently. Um, Alan Ruff was very disappointed with Umbro because the goalkeepers' jerseys were extra large and. For someone who was who was often you know yeah. maligned because of his weight, it is very baggy. like he had to explain that he was he was at one of his best weights at the time, but people yeah. were criticised because the jersey made him look overweight. Yeah, oh. Oh, <laughs> he's getting a lot oh, of yeah. He really is. No, definitely not his fault. All right, no game number three. And just to, for the record, Brazil now you know looking good. Obviously for the next phase, Scotland. They look to the next day, hoping that the USSR score two or less against uh, New Zealand in an inevitable victory, a three-goal win for uh, the Soviet Union. And Scotland will have to beat the Soviet Union, but I'm sure it'll all work out for them. That's the way it always works, isn't it, Kevin? Argentina, four. Hungary, one. Argentina against Hungary. Hungary looked like they were going to get a full taste of their own medicine at one stage. The goals were raining in. This was interesting. It's the first game in Alicante, actually, Mick, for the record. Nice atmosphere. It in is. The stadium. Ah, terrific. And um, the Argentinians are there in force. They're based in Alicante. The fans are all there. There's an enormous Argentinian supported in the ground. Um, to rewind back, because I know where this is going to go, and it rightly should go, just to in a complete and utter celebration of Maradona. Let's remember, like, the Argentinians had lost to Belgium first game out, played poorly. Cesar Minotti, their manager, had, you know, had had a go at them himself. Said they were slow and inhibited against Belgium. But he said on this day, he said, we are ready to die on our feet to win. And um, there's more. Of course, there's always more. So I think the day before, the day before the game, General Galtieri, the head of the junta back in Argentina. Now, the, at this point, as we know, the Falklands War has been lost. Galtieri is removed uh, the day before the match. Um, so that's obviously, you know, th- that constant tension is there. And it's starting to show itself in different ways. So, um, and I seem to be talking about um, womanizing and Mr. Loverman a lot uh, in around the 1982 World Cup so far. But 
Cesar Minotti was pictured coming out of his room with a German model. Now, apparently in the Argentinian media and the world media, this was not an unusual thing. His his uh, his 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 um, predilections and so on weren't weren't um, people knew he was he he was. What am I saying? Let me start all that again. Sorry, Rob. Um, you know this this wasn't a, an unusual thing. But now that Argentina weren't going well, um, Minotti hanging out with uh, with random women wasn't wasn't uh, going down well. Alberto Tarantini was on the beach in Alicante with his wife. Apparently, they had a blazing row, and she threatened to go off and sleep with another man. Spanish media were having a ball. They reported this at a great time. It was like so, all this stuff is floating around. And of course, we have Maradona. And we have Maradona and waiting, waiting still for the grand moment, you know, the grand unveiling of the world's most expensive player. What's he going to do? Maradona has entered the building. Like this is <laughs> his World Cup arrival. Like he's just magnetic for the whole of this game. And we've talked about how good the Brazilians were. My God, Argentina were good in this game. At this point... Like halfway through this game, I was going, if I'm watching this for the first time, which I was, but obviously I have a bit of a bit of knowledge now. I was going, this World Cup's going to be won by Brazil, Brazil or Argentina. Yeah. Italy, obviously. Like, now after today, going to win the world. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Like, just, just to give people a sense, because I, like we go into the detail of the match, but I just want to, like, I mean, because we can say, you know, we can say, oh, Maradona was amazing. This is unbelievable, you know. But, you know, people won't have seen this game. So just I'll I'll make this really quick now, but just to give people a sense of how completely and utterly he controls this game and how much he's in it. This is this is a kind of a, a list of what happens with Maradona, right? So first two involvements he's kicked up in the air, right? After five minutes, he has this brilliant scissors volley kind of shot that he kind of t- he taps the ball up to himself and forces an unbelievable save from the Hungarian keeper. That's five minutes, seventeen minutes, brilliant back header tipped over the bar. 21 minutes, shot from Maradona, parried and saved. Uh, 28 minutes, he gets his first goal. It's a shot by Bertoni, half saved. Maradona follows up and heads the ball in. 41 minutes, Maradona free kick, save. 47 minutes, Maradona denied again, great save. Uh, 51 minutes, another amazing move. Kempes crosses for Maradona, doesn't go in. Uh, another move, Kempes, Maradona, Kempes, Maradona. Shot from out inside the box, he beats. That's his second goal. Uh, we'll come back to all these, I know, but I'm just going to give yeah. you a sense. 59 minutes, dazzling run, couldn't get a cross in. Um, 66 minutes, he sends Bertoni clean through. He butchered a shot over the bar. 68 minutes, he sends Calderon through. He misses a chance. And then, like, there's a little break then. He gets flattened after 80 minutes. But with five minutes left, there's this amazing moment where Ardiles dispossesses a Hungarian player, uh, gives it to Maradona. He runs at them in the style for people who remember 86 when Maradona would run in England and all the, and the Belgians and everybody else. It was this classic run. And he slips it to Ardiles, who's clean through, smashes it wide, deserved a goal. And just in case we thought he was finished, two minutes to go, he has one last amazing dribble and a shot. That's that's how involved. When we say Maradona, when we're going to talk about it now, is brilliant in this game. That's brilliance. Uh, uh, but it's brilliance facilitated by a couple of shrewd changes on Manali's part. Like, Kempes is playing in a different role. Like, Kempes and Ardiles look brilliant in this game. Yeah, oh, totally. yeah. It's, it's a yeah, stunning, so he, yeah, like it's a stunning performance and it's a stunning turnaround. Billy Joe, come in here on this. Like, I mean, what we saw in that opening game to this, like it could be one of the biggest turnarounds we're going to see in this World Cup. Yeah, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but it feels to me that it just to, to take on Kieran's point there that, you know, you have 
Bertoni, who's high up the field and he's kind of on the right-hand side and he's a constant threat. He's constantly looking to to stretch it and get in behind. I think even he had a goal disallowed in the second half for offside, where I think it was Maradona might have put him through for that, it was, or maybe it was Kimpas, I don't know, definitely left-footed. Um, and then that gave Maradona the the space. And Maradona seemed to be higher as well, higher up the field. And it was the kind of surprising thing was Kimpez's. Kimpez was much deeper. He was nearly mm. playing in like center midfield, which was totally a surprise. But by the second half, he was totally comfortable with it and was lording it. And particularly in a situation where I know uh, Mick mentions there about Maradona's second goal, but like there's a two or three uh, you know, times, and that was one of them, where the ball is slapped into Kimpez in the midfield, and he plays it one time perfectly into somebody's stride. One touch football, absolutely outstanding. But just, I think this is important to note uh, about Maradona and about his performance and how that stands, I suppose, in the pantheon of great performances in World Cups. It's not that important, it's only a group game. But if you want to see why Maradona is the greatest, Watch this game because for all those things that Mick outlined and all those key moments he had in the game, you see a different element of the skill set that he had. You know, whether it's the back header, whether it's the crazy flipping athletic scissors kick volley in the first moment, whether it's the dribbles, whether it's following up a shot that's in, whether it's shot that his shot that actually goes in. There's actually one thing that absolutely baffled me, and it's something you don't see in football now, is where a ball is played into him and there's a centre half right up behind him. In the modern game now, players hold on to that, hold their ground and take its feet and try and roll. He couldn't do that because somebody comes straight through the back of him and kicks him up there. He actually ran towards the ball, jumped in the air and volleyed it first time pass out to somebody else on the wing. Phenomenal skill. There's just so many uh, elements like that. And there is, there's actually a 10 minute YouTube clip of all his contributions to this game that's well worth anyone watching. I just wanted to come in there and I think, well, there's two things, Kev. I'd imagine given that, you know, because TV schedulers, once again, we'll have had Argentina playing Hungary and Brazil playing Scotland at exactly the same time in the second round of a group stage. Like <laughs> some of the the idiocy of of the scheduling of the games, I just I it completely bamboozles me every time we look at this. But I'm also assuming you wouldn't have seen Argentina on this night because I presume the blackout was still going on. No, I, I think the, I think the, the war was over by that stage. I think so. They probably did show a highlights version of it later on, uh, but obviously we were we were watching Scotland, Brazil live on TV, so we we were we were not uh, that interested in how the Argentinians were getting on against Hungary. But having watched the game back, like all the lads are saying, like this is this is the the arrival, as you said, of Maradona on the World Cup stage. Like there was all the talk of would he make the seventy eight squad, even though he was only sixteen or seventeen at the time, didn't quite make it. It's interesting the fact that he, he made his debut against Hungary five years before this game. So obviously he liked playing against Hungary. He's a big fan of playing against the Hungarians. Uh, but the 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 goal that he scores, uh, the second goal that he scores is just outstanding football. It's just what you and you and you get a sense of all the talk about this great young player that's coming from from Argentina. You can see that this guy is is the real deal and you're looking forward to seeing how he's going to compare against the likes of Zico for the rest of this competition they're the two big names in your head in terms of who's going to be the player of this tournament will it be Zico in Brazil or Maradona in Argentina who's going to win this competition like the the only thing I can compare this to is you know that sense of mystique about because this is an unknown this is people's first chance to see him really in his prime I can remember 
later in the 80s when a boxer emerged at 19 named Mike Tyson and was knocking out guys routinely. And there was this buzz before you'd ever seen him about how good this kid was going to be. Like, that's what it feels like watching this with Maradona. If you're coming into this, you're going, they didn't know what he was like. He's played all his football in Argentina. It's not like Eurosport were showing <laughs> the Argentine league at the time. So he's a complete surprise package for the football fan at the time. Can, can you imagine being a Barcelona fan watching this? You're not, you're not, you're not. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you <laughs> see so little. Getting, like, yeah. Could you, you're sitting there in Barcelona and you're watching this game and you're thinking, holy shit, I can't <laughs> believe this fella is you know, going to arrive on our door. It, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. You can just, I, I, and you know, you're right, Kieran. You, you would never have seen him. You can't go onto YouTube and look up Mr. Boy Wonder and see all the scouting clips on all these flipping YouTube compilations made up to dodgy flipping Euro pop in the back showing, you know, yeah, all it's just, it's just outrageous. Like the, some of the things he, he, he does in this game. And it, look, I, I know that we'll go through the goals, but I, if I can start at the end, I think Mick, you sold him a bit short there on that assist for Ozzy Ardiles because you're oh, right. I, I, he didn't does go on, I didn't mean to. He goes, he goes on this amazing run and he totally sets up the two Hungarian defenders because they think he's running away from goal. And he just, they move towards him and then he backheels it. He backheels it kind of, you know, like a, a, a 45 degree angle backheel right into Ardiles' path. And I think Ardiles is nearly put off by the brilliance of, of the assist <laughs> that yeah. he fucks it up basically yeah. you know so and, and like it's just it's just out of this world and and i said i was going to get excited i said i was going to get excited about the second goal oh god he's probably going to be and, in the garden as he describes yeah. the only thing i look i mentioned earlier on it was just phenomenal one two it's i love a long range one two we went through this with um Balumi in the Algeria game. Nothing like a long-range one-two. So it's like a 30-yard one-two. Slaps it into Kimpes. Kimpes has the ability to play it first time out his left boot into space as Maradona runs on it. And this is the bit that no other player ever since or definitely with the old footballs could ever do because he hits that ball it's like a greg maddox sinker in wrigley field where for about he's 22 yards and the ball travels for about 18 19 yards and it looks like it's going straight to the goalkeeper and then it just dies away to the floor and you're just there thinking that's totally intentional how on earth did he do that that ball just dipped away away from the goalkeeper down towards his toes and the goalkeeper couldn't react quick enough anyone that hasn't seen that goal needs to see that shot because it's 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 unique it's something that you know I, no one else no one there's been great strikers of a ball since but but no one can do that right <laughs> Billy, I just love hearing you talk, man. Because I mean, it's just. <laughs> I, I've seen I that cannot... goal. I need to watch it again now, actually. I'm actually going to do that. Keep going. <laughs> I, I tell you, I tell you, like, I cannot express how exhilarating it was to watch Maradona in this game. It brought me back. The only, like, as a kid, I remember the 86 World Cup is probably my first World Cup that I really remember. I don't really remember 82. Um, and I could always, whatever about the England game was one thing. But having seen the England game, then you're watching the Belgian World Cup semi-final that day. And I just remember the feeling every time Maradona got on the ball. I always remember that feeling that something's going to happen. And it was precisely that against Hungary for, you know, in 82. It, every single time. And he said an interesting thing, kind of echoing what Minotti said in terms of their attitude going out. He said, 
before the game, the 11 of us got together and we decided to leave everything behind. As soon as we entered the field while the anthems were playing, I already noticed we couldn't stay still. So that tells me two things. Number one, their attitude was complete. And you can see it in the way they play. Their attitude is spot on. It's not even, even Maradona, even when he doesn't have the ball, he's hustling and he's trying to get the ball back. And Ardiles in particular is amazing at that. He, he has so many dispossessions. It's incredible. Like the Hungarians are so bewildered and, and shocked. I mean, there's at least two occasions in the first 20 minutes where they try back passes that are completely not good ideas. But the other thing that strikes me is that Maradona has such that peace of mind to look around and see this. He senses this, you know, yeah. he senses the energy in the players when they're standing as Kieran described, you know, or, or, as we've said already in a seething atmosphere, but he's, he's ready. Like he's in that zone. He's in that little bubble where everything is moving a half a second slower. And he, it's just, the most wonderful experience watching him in this game. I just literally watched that goal again, Billy Joe, and I see it now. I didn't see that because I was wondering, did the keeper make a mistake? There's no mistake from the keeper there. It's amazing. That, that's 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 what you get from practicing with an orange all your youth. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I'm telling you, if you Google, if you Google just a, a good sinker in baseball, yeah. that's what it does. It just goes and just dies away from yeah. you, and it's just it's just phenomenal how. Uh, like, but I, I've, I think we had this conversation. We were doing Italian ninety, where like we you can compare Maradona and Messi, but there's more there's more variety to Maradona's brilliance, in my yeah. opinion. You see, the ball is stuck to Messi's foot even on a dribble. Everything looks is is it's inch perfect, and it's and it's uh, you know it's brilliant. Whereas Maradona, even on a dribble. One one touch might be a feather where he moves the ball six inches in front of him. The next touch might throw three meters in front of him and he, and he strides onto it. That sort of variety in his skill level to do that, even in his passing as well. Some of the times he'll play a pass in front of somebody and he won't play it. He won't play it along the ground. It won't be like what you'll you'll be taught to do. It. He, he, probably because he's playing a worse pitch as well. He will actually kind of dink it and it'll be a foot off the ground and it'll die. It'll literally stop dead like a snooker shot in front of the forward as they're running onto it. Like it's it's just it's yeah it, it, it's it's hard to describe. Like but if you just solely look at it from a skill level in terms of what he was able to do, no one will ever touch Maradona. Yeah, one hundred percent. Make you you actually did you get quotes from some of the Hungarians on Maradona? Well, yeah. Like I mean. As Kevin mentioned there before, like he had his first game in 77 against Hungary. Argentina played Hungary a little bit over this period at senior level and, and at youth level as well. So he was like, the thing that, the other thing as well to keep in mind is that Hungary didn't really have a man marker for him. They kind of, they had a zonal kind of system. So they, no, they had, they had people that they kind of said, we'll keep an eye on him, but it wasn't like he was shadowed all day. Um, Sandor Salai, was the guy who was probably closest to him for most of the match. Um, and and he remembered he tries to kick him up in the air at some stage. <laughs> well, funny enough, he says, he says he fouled him once really badly like that, and the referee came straight over and said, you do that again, you're getting sent off. And, he's, and in Salai's view, that was like, you know, special oh, treatment. Oh, Maradona would love to have that ref later in the yeah. tournament. <laughs> yeah. He was just thinking of himself, yeah. he's not getting sent off. <laughs> but he, uh, he remembered, like he remembered Maradona from the 1979 Under-21 World Championships. And his memory of me said there was a shared lunchroom wherever the teams must have been all based in the same area, but there was like a cafeteria. And Salai would see Maradona there. He used to eat lunch on his own. Like the Argentinian team would be in one place and Maradona would be a little bit away with Cesar Manotti having lunch. 
And he also remembered that Maradona always had his own gear. He didn't wear the Argentinian team gear because he already had his own commercial deals and he had to wear different gear. So like, you're getting little insights already like into the, into the world of this teenage Maradona. But he's, he's remarked, like he said, look, I was just, he was on a, he was on a, a, a hiding to nothing market and that night. He said it was as if, quote, it was as if he was caressing the ball with his left foot. That's what he felt all night. There was another guy, Tibor Nielassi, who played against Argentina in 1981 and had played against Maradona a couple of times. And this is all, these are quotes that were, that were given after Maradona passed away in the last couple of years. But Nielassi, thinking back on 82, said he was such a phenomenon that if you looked at him, your gaze stayed there for 90 minutes as if the others weren't on the pitch. He said he enjoyed every second of football. He wanted to bring joy to the world. He was a bohemian star you couldn't help but love, regardless of his good and bad things in life. I have to say, of all the tributes that have been paid to Maradona over the last couple of years, that those that one from Neil Lassie kind of, I think, captures an awful mm. lot of why we still love Maradona, for better or for worse. Um, he was a bohemian star that you couldn't help but love. And your gaze would stay on him like it did in this game for 90 minutes, as if others weren't on the pitch. Kevin, I, like I, some of our listeners won't realise this, but you were one of a few people who really kind of just poked us in this direction to just give this a go because you obviously joined us for the Italian 19. It wasn't just because it was your World Cup. It was like you're going to discover stuff that'll just blow your mind. And I have to say, this would be where I'd be saying, nice one. You're spot on because the, the two hours I spent just with this game in front of me were absolutely worth it. Yeah, he's like he is as as the guys have all said that he is you can see the beginning of this kind of iconic figure appearing in, in the world game. The other thing I noticed of this game is when Ardila scores the goal, I noticed he's got number Four one goal, in his back. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. one and the keeper is seven. Yeah. So they're all alphabetical except Maradona. Yeah. We touched yeah. on this to the Belgium game. Yeah. They're the superstars, they have ten and eleven. Everybody else is alphabetical. Yeah. And so even then, like as you're saying, he used to eat lunch in his own. Even with the senior team, the rules are not the rules for Diego. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I Absolutely. think um look, we could wax lyrical about this game, Maradona Forever. Um and you know what? some days it's a real struggle picking our team of the day. I think yeah. I think we've nailed we've nailed on starters here. So that this should be this should be our simplest one, shouldn't it? Now, oh, yeah. What, what formation are we going? Four two 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 two. Like, well, was I, well, I was or... going to suggest. Well, I mean, formations. I was going to suggest in tribute to the Brazilians, you could just do four two four, because, like, I mean, it was yeah. just, it was just kind of. I'll be honest with you. Haven't watched. I mean, Maradona's performance for me is the greatest individual performance of the day. I, even after watching Brazil and Scotland, I would still say that Argentina were the best team of the day. Um, wow. I don't know what I, I don't know what you think about that. You know, yeah, I, I, look, I, I think, I think Zico, if you're going with that four up front, right? Zico and Maradona are nailed on. Yes, we all agreed yeah. there. Mm, yes, yeah. I, I personally think Eder has to be in that top four. Agreed. Yeah, yep, agreed. Um, who are we putting up there with them? No, Serginio. <laughs> oh, he's getting on is some he? team of the week, day. Some yeah, some, someday when you're not it's with a, us, Kevin, we're putting Sergino on team of, team of the day. Um, I'm going to put three names to you, all well, right, yeah. for that fourth spot. Kempes, I know Kempes played midfield, but we're going to yeah, struggle to get put he, he is a forward, yeah. Kempes, um, Kempes was brilliant, yeah. Steve Archibald, 
Steve Archibald, you yeah. know, the ex Rolls Royce right. mechanic, did I, very it's in keeping it to spirit <laughs> of our team of the week. But look, I think I think um, I'd be talking Kempes. I think Kempes is in there. So I think we're we're talking Kempes. two Brazilians, two Argentinians. The centre, the two players in midfield. Who who are we looking at? Um, Ardiles, lads. I really have to. Yeah, I, I, it's a great, great performance. I know there's a lot of Brazilians. We you could pick, you could pick a few Brazilians. But look, actually, you could take Falcao out of it today. Yeah, definitely. I think he was poor. Uh, Soc- Socrates had a good game. I'm not sure it was up to our high standards. Nope. <laughs> Would Bruno Conti make it for his shot? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah. I think I think they look that's solid. Ardiles nice and Conti. Now we're gonna we're gonna go into the back four. I'm gonna make a shout here that David Neri has to be. Has to go David has to be in our team of the day. And I'm going to make a shout for another Scottish player that we didn't discuss, but actually knew that he was coming in for the games against Brazil and the USSR, but hadn't been in the game against New Zealand. And I was really impressed with him. Now, he's an outstanding, he has an outstanding career, but I thought Willie Miller was really good for Scotland. My only issue with Willie Miller is that he got rolled by Serginho. He got completely yeah. turned by Serginho for the goal, for the other goal. And Kev's definitely going to kick him out. By Serginho, Yeah, Kevin is in two minds here. This is like a Sophie's choice for Kevin here. <laughs> what no. can I do with so this we, one? We, we, leave, we'll, we'll leave Dave Neri in anyway. <laughs> we leave, yeah. leave Kevin with that for yeah. a minute. <laughs> Passarella was very good for Argentina. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. he was, yeah. The Hungarian goalkeeper, and I, I should know his name when I'm but I thought he made some amazing saves despite conceding four. <laughs> oh, he was excellent. Yeah, no, can, he was look, excellent. The, look, there can look, be only one four goalkeeper. Goals, he can't give it to him. Because we've got to make it up to him. Alan Rolf has yeah. to be the goalkeeper. <laughs> <on this laughs> <day. Here>. Fact. <laughs> uh, I'll tell, tell you who I thought was good at centre half to, to challenge Willie Miller. Go on. Um, I thought Luizinho. Brazil. He's a good player. Yeah. I was thinking that too. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you that like captain's challenge you. there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you got a left back, lads. You got a left back. That's what we need. Oscar. One left back. Oscar. Oscar, yes. yes. Oscar. Yes. That's yes. That's fine. Lads, that is an unbelievable team. <laughs> what a team. Have, have we picked no, two? No. Yeah, well, yeah, we're, I, we're, we're, we're good. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, we're, no, we're all happy with Ruffy and goals, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, go for yeah, it. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah notwithstanding the first two names. So in goal, Alan Ruff. Good Lord. Your back four is right back David Neri. Centre half partnership of Luisinho and Passarella. Uh, left back Oscar. Our two midfielders, because, you know, this is how we roll. Ozzy Ardiles and Bruno Conti. And your front four, Jesus. Kempes, Zico, Maradona and Eder. Yeah, lads, this is not, a good day. Lads, not a bad team. Take the team of the week that's going to come out of Kuwait, France, Honduras, Northern Ireland, and Algeria, Austria, and put them up against those boys. By the way, Rob, before we go, before we go, I must not forget this. Uh, in the Irish news, in the Irish newspaper, the Evening Herald. Yes, this now is on the morning of these games, so I'm not taking these games into account. The Evening Herald do a top, the most entertaining team so far. So actually, do a top fourteen of the most uh, entertaining team so far. So I won't bother with the 14, but do you want, will I give you the rundown of the top five? Yes, go on. Most entertaining teams, according to the Evening Herald, after the first round of games, I suppose you could say. At number five, England. Mm-hmm. Number four, Hungary. I suppose 10 goals. 10 goals, do yeah. That yeah. To you. 
Number three, Algeria. Nice. Yeah, yeah, nice call, that, yeah. I thought. Nice call. Number two, an even nicer call, I think, the USSR. Oh, was a very, <laughs> yeah. Very nice call. And number one, no prizes for that, Brazil. Um, and they also do the worst team so far. Oh, um, let's do some guesses, see how many we can get here. Yeah. You know, so I'll, I'll, I'll help you out on this, right? So they can't separate um, six teams for three places, right? So they have two teams at number one, two teams at number two, and two teams at number three. Okay, wow. so, two teams at number one. I'm guessing one of them's El Salvador. That's an easy one. Oh, so and I should have I should have mentioned that they don't even include El Salvador at all <laughs> in any of it because I don't think they think El Salvador are a serious okay, team. Okay, I'm I'm guessing that one of them not, is, any one of them is the team team of waiters from the hunting lodge that El Salvador <laughs> played against. Um, West Germany are definitely in this list. Like they're the, they're they're already shaping up as the pantom. No, they're not in the worst. We only have three slots for the worst. West Germany are the thirteenth most entertaining team uh, so far, according to the herd. <laughs> But you've got that on the wall, I'd say. Uh, I'd say he does. The number one worst team teams Northern Ireland and Yugoslavia in brackets, in brackets, hands down. Wow, <laughs> wow, that's very bitter, I have to say. Oh, that's very bitter. Very bitter. Uh, number two is Italy and Poland. They're not impressed, not impressed. And the at number three, the the third worst teams so far in the competition, according to uh, the Evening Herald, are Chile and Austria. So obviously Colin Sheridan found the time machine, went back and took a spite of all the games we made him watch because they're his top three games out on that. I, I can understand why. That's it from us. Just, just now, 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 before you go, Rob. Um, oh, I love this. Always good. Because this comes up every time we do Scotland. Yes. The anthems. This was the first World Cup where they had... <laughs> Kevin said no for this. Uh, oh, no, but we, but no we've got to go there. Like we've got what? What was the anthem, Kevin, for this particular World Cup? And it was the, the, it caused some controversy. It was was it Scotland the Brave? It was Scotland the Brave, and the ministers, the the Conservative government at the time, had some concerns about Scotland the Brave as the anthem because they felt that Scotland should have been using the Union Jack and God Save the Queen like the other British teams at this World Cup, and that it might lead to some nationalist sentiment or the mm. impression that there was some nationalist sentiment in Scotland by using Scotland the Brave. But actually, in uh, in the book, Tom Brogan's book, it has, says the song, and I did not know this when we did this on Euro 92, but I'm glad I, I checked it in the book. The song originated when lyricist Cliff Handy wrote lyrics for use by Robert Wilson in a review show at the Glasgow Empire in 1951. It became popular among Glasgow audiences during the Alhambra Theatre pantomime of 1952-53 in the first act of Jack and the Beanstalk. And it was asked by the late Robert Wilson to pen words to an old pipe tune for a pantomime. My initial check was £20. Since then, royalties have never been less than 200 a year. So... That was not where I expected to find out Scotland the Brave came from. He was born two years before he went up the Alps in Switzerland with the big jerseys. Interesting. Yeah. And remember, 82 was only five years after the independent referendum of 77. So 
There's still a lot of stuff going on there about Scottish independence and Scottish nationality and all that sort of stuff and identity. So that's probably why the Conservatives were trying to rein that in. Yeah. And once again, in this podcast, we realised that 1982 is a whole long way away with, with loads of themes that have nothing that could possibly... Yeah, there's, there's, no, touch, there's no chat about another referendum in no, Scotland. No, no, no. Yeah, no, 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 no the government does not do things that Scotland they shouldn't do. But anyway, so I'm being political now, but I'll walk away. I'll walk away. <laughs> 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 right, that's it from us. Bye, guys. Adios. Bye, lads. So long.